Carol Joy Side, and welcome to the Homeschool Made Simple podcast. You're listening to episode five. This is a podcast to help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Today, I wanted to share with you some of the books that I've been reading lately. I don't know about you, but I love to ask people, what are you reading? What are you reading? And it always is so intriguing when that subject comes up. So I like to kind of say, what's on your nightstand right now? Tell me about the books you're reading. So this season has been kind of a a good reading season for me. And I'm reading several books that have no relationship to each other, which, you know, is always fun because you get that diversification of what you're being exposed to and when you're kind of bored with one book for a day you might pick up another and I like to dance between the different books. So I'm going to start with a book that a friend of mine recommended. I believe she said they're using it in the small group they lead and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's by John Mark Comer, C-O-M-E-R. Now, if that sounds a little bit familiar to you, if you've been to my house, I have little signs all over my house that say, ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. And that is a quote from Dallas Willard. And the story of that quote is that many years ago, John Ortberg um, came on staff at a very, very, probably the largest church in America at the time in Chicago. And he called up his mentor, Dallas Willard, and he said, you know, I'm really in the big leagues right now, and I'm, I'm kind of shaking in my boots, and do you have any advice for me? And he had his pen and his paper out ready, and Dallas was silent. Dallas was known for long silences, from what John Ortberg says. He was silent for some time, and then he very thoughtfully said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Ortberg wrote it down and nodded and said, okay, that's good. That's profound. What else? And then Dallas Willard was silent for a while. And then he said, nothing, nothing else. That's it. And John Ortberg loves to tell that story. Um, And so then he in turn was ministering and mentoring a young pastor from Portland, Oregon of the name of John Mark Comer. And he um, said the same thing to John Mark Comer, and it sparked a major change in his life. He was pastoring a church in Portland, Oregon, that had multiple campuses, and I believe he said it was growing 1,000 people a year for something like seven years straight. And he was like a juggler in a circus act, with all the things that he was carrying and wearing (laughs) and uh, worrying about. He had, I believe, three small children, a sweet wife, and his life was just on autopilot. He felt like a robot. Everything was flatlined and dead within him. His relationship with his wife, with his children, with the Lord, with God's word. He just was going through the motions, even though... From the world's perspective, he was phenomenally successful. And he met with the elders of his church, and he said, I need to step down. He hadn't had a moral failure or anything like that. He simply knew that his capacity had met its limit. 
And he said, could I just pastor the smallest campus downtown in Portland, the toughest mission field of all the churches, and I will give all the other responsibilities back you know, to the rest of the team. And that's what he did. He moved downtown with his family and, of course, his wife, and he restarted his life, and he wrote this book. And I love it. Uh, in one part, he says, he talks about things that are very, very important in, in my personal theology and life. One is silence, and the other is solitude. And he makes a very major case for the practice of Sabbath and what that looks like, how to live a simple life, how to live a slower life. And I have lots of different quotes I wanted to read to you from him, but um, at one point he's just kind of really picking on all of us with, the solution isn't having more time. And he says, um, the average guy... This was from a piece of research called The Demise of Guys, The Crisis of Masculinity in Western Culture. The average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by age 21. 10,000 hours. And he said, my mind jumps to the research around this rule. In 10,000 hours, you could master any craft or become an expert in any field from Sumerian archaeology to Olympic water polo. You could get your bachelor's degree and your master's degree. You could memorize the New Testament or you could beat level four of call of duty. He said just some of the ironies of life. You watched all 14 seasons of blank but you never learned to love prayer. He quotes Thoreau who said, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to, d to die to discover that I had not lived. He said, instead of watching an hour of TV before bed, we could read through the entire Bible in six months. He talks about redeeming the time, as it says in Ephesians. He said, the average American spends 705 hours a year on social media and for television, 2,000, I'm sorry, 2,737,005 hours. No, no, that's a period. <laughs> 2,737.5 hours. So that's how much time we're spending watching television. He said, um, you know, what could we do with that time? How could we redeem it for the kingdom of God? And really for things that bring us life instead of things that bring us death. Stephen Covey, who wrote Seven Habits book, said that we achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. We achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. What do we value? What do we care about? And he talks about this rule. Um, I'm reading another book on a rule of life, which maybe I'll talk about in a subsequent podcast. But the concept of the rule of life or the regula in Latin means a straight piece of wood or a ruler. 
but it could also be used for a trellis. And he says a structure or a trellis holds up the vine so it can grow and bear fruit. So have we created a life that has a structure or a rule of living that holds us up? I'll tell you of a little structure that was given to me as a very young Christian. Uh, When I was a new believer, I went to a class um, at our church in Southern California taught by Pastor Romaine. And if any of you have ever been to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, you have heard about Romaine. He was a, uh, he worked as a drill sergeant in the Marines, among many other things. And uh, Pastor Romaine was rough and tough and brusque. And all of the kids during the Jesus movement, we just loved him because we knew that beneath his exterior, he was just putty. He loved us and we knew it. And he loved us enough to discipline us and not take any mamsy-pamsy excuses. So years ago, I was in this class. I was maybe a Christian for about six months. And um, a young man raised his hand and said, Pastor Romaine, you know, I don't know what it is. I read my Bible every night. I pray. But every day, I just feel like I'm just, I fall off the turnip truck but I'm really, you know, reading my, and he stopped him right in the middle and he went up to the blackboard and he wrote a big AM and then he wrote a big PM and he said, this is you. And he yelled at us. You get up every morning and he took his big chalk and he made big X's on the chalkboard and the world walks all over you all day long. Then you come home and you read your Bible and you confess your sin and you pray and you go to bed. And the next day, the world walks all over you all day long. And he goes, not a.m., not p.m., people, a.m. He said to us, and we're all hanging on his every word, don't even let your feet touch the ground until you have met with Almighty God in his word and in prayer. And he taught me that, um, I guess it's been about 45 plus years now. And I don't know if there's been maybe a handful of days in all those years that I have not met with the Lord in the morning. And it has shaped my destiny and my life. It was a, a discipline and a trellis that the Lord gave me early in my Christian life. And it's gotten me through a lot of really hard things and a lot of really good and blessed things. So getting a routine, getting a conviction, getting a plan for your life, so important. He talks a lot about, you know, the media, social media, and what that looks like to us. And he says, social media takes this problem of Um, you know, buy this, do this, eat this, drink this, have this, watch this, be this. Um, Wayne Muller in his book Sabbath said, it's as if we have inadvertently stumbled into some horrific wonderland. And then John Mark Comer says, social media takes this problem to a whole new level as we live under the barrage of images, not just from marketing departments, but from the rich and famous, as well as our friends and family, all of whom curate the best moments of their lives. This ends up unintentionally playing to a core sin of the human condition that goes all the way back to the garden. Envy. 
the greed for another person's life, and the loss of gratitude, joy, and contentment in our own. He talks about Sabbath and that the word Shabbat in Hebrew literally means to stop. He says the Sabbath is simply a day to stop. Stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. I cannot recommend this book more highly enough to you, and it would be a great book to go through as a couple or with a best friend or in a small group. I also have been rereading several books. I don't know about you, but I reread the same books over and over again. And this book was given to me by my dear friend Catherine for my birthday a year or two ago, and it's called The Awakening of Miss Prim. The Awakening of Miss Prim. Prim, P-R-I-M. It's by Natalia San Martin Fenolara. And I believe she's from Spain. And this is her first novel, although she's a successful writer in other ways. She lives in Madrid. And um, this book, as a homeschooler, as a reader, as a thinker, it is just like, ah. It's better than going on a vacation. It's a story of a young single woman who answers an ad to be a librarian for a single gentleman uh, who cares for children, which was a little puzzling. So she got there to his house. Oh, and you were not allowed to have any academic, um, you know, names after your, no letters after your name. So she had a PhD and some other things, but she just felt impressed to go. And she went and appeared at this house, beautiful house. Uh, It doesn't really tell us where it is. It might be in Spain. It might be in South America. And this, she calls him the man in the wing chair. He interviews her and there are different children sitting around and he's reading out loud to them from the classics and teaching them Latin and Greek and Hebrew And he has this very unkempt library of all the great books of history. And he hires her. She lives there on the premises. And he has several children that he's raising. I believe it was his sister who had died. And he inherited these children. But then the other children in the community were all coming there too for tutorials with him. And it's a literary person's dream for a fun book to read and Uh, The gentleman in the wing chair has created a community of like-minded people who share his philosophies and his views. And there's a monk um, really at the core of the community who you don't meet till the very few last pages, who's really influenced everyone else who lives there. And it made me think of the small town that I live in now in Guthrie, Oklahoma, And uh, some friends have come to visit me, and they're like, this is Mitford. And it is. And I feel that way about this town. And in reading this book, it was very much kind of a window into living in a small kind of integrated community where people do life together on many levels. It is a delightful book. And interestingly, the second time I read it, I liked it so much more than the first, which often tells me that the place we're at when we read a book very often influences how we feel about that book. So sometimes we're just not in the right headspace, and then later on we read it and think, oh, that was my favorite book ever. 
The third book I want to share with you is a book that I've read multiple times, and it's also a magnificent movie uh, that was done, I believe, in the 40s, starring Gregory Peck. And the name of the book is The Keys of the Kingdom. The Keys of the Kingdom. And the author is a long-dead Catholic Irish author named A.J. Cronin. He was actually a physician, but he wrote many amazing books. And this book was written in 1941, and it's the story of Francis Chisholm, a little boy growing up in Scotland with a Catholic father and a Protestant mother, and his father, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but um, he has a very hard, tragic uh, childhood. He started out with a very happy, cozy childhood and became very, very tragic. And um, through a series of events of broken hearts and, and different influences, he becomes a Catholic priest. And he winds up through kind of a, a series of failures. He winds up being sent to China as an early missionary from the Catholic Church. And it is a life-changing book. Now, the theology is horrible. I just want you to know that, um, the, I don't know if A.J. Cronin shared this belief, but at least Father Chisholm appeared to be somewhat of a universalist, and you just have to ignore that. But his character, his humility, his brokenness, I've never met someone in literature that I like more and would want to emulate. And I read this book over and over again, and I recommend it to everyone that I meet. So highly recommend it. A.J. Cronin wrote many books, and as is the case with any time you read a good book, the first question we always ask as literary people is, what else did he write? So I've read many of his books over the years, not recently, but over the years. But this book I return to over and over again. I think you'll love it. In the last few minutes, I wanted to share with you some books that I'm about to read. So I love knowing what's on people's book stands, like I said. So these two are on mine. The first is a book written by Elizabeth Gaskell. Of course, these are rereads. Um, I've read this book several times, and it's called Wives and Daughters. It was written at the time of Dickens, and um, Elizabeth Gaskell, back in her day, was referred to as Mrs. Gaskell. That was her name uh, in literary circles. And um, Dickens helped popularize her writing. He printed some of her writing in his magazine that he published. And she's a British author. Um, It's set in Britain in 1832, and it's considered her masterpiece. Although I've tried to read pretty much everything she ever wrote, um, I agree. This is her masterpiece, and I love her writing. And then a children's book that I would like to suggest is a book called The Endless Step. The Endless Step, spelled S-T-E-P-P-E, and it's written by Esther Houtzig. And it is the story of a family being sent to Siberia. And it is a beautifully written book. Uh, they're They're taken from Poland, where they have a lovely, happy life. And they live in exile, struggling to survive. And the love of this family, the closeness, the community, their faith. um, Again, it's a book that stands up 
to being read multiple times and a book I think you would love to read out loud as a family. So on that note, thank you for joining me this week on the Homeschool Simple podcast. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about that the show, that would be great too. Visit my website, Carol Joy Side, spelled Carol with an E at the end, Joy and Side, S-E-I-D, CarolJoyside.com to subscribe to the monthly newsletter, which is free, and receive exclusive discounts in my online store where seminars and interviews are available. Be sure to tune in next week for my next episode where I help you homeschool simply, inexpensively, and enjoyably. Blessings.